We'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, <clears throat> excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 1 as we continue, of course, our study of Paul's letter to his faithful worker and friend Timothy. Paul's in northern Greece. He writes back to Timothy who's in the church at Ephesus. He's writing not only to Timothy individually, but he's writing also to the church at Ephesus. There's some great things there. Paul wants them to know, and because there's some issues going on in the church, Paul wants them to know how they're to conduct themselves and how they're to do the things. Tonight, uh, this morning, we're going to get a good <clears throat> look at Paul's background and the grace of God. Two things go together. Paul's background and the grace. Paul was sinful. He was in open rebellion against God. But he was shown God's grace and mercy. He was saved and set apart to be a servant for Jesus Christ. Well, the same is true for every one of us in this room. We, who, we are sinners. We've, saw, we've fallen short of God's glory. Yet in God's grace and mercy, he has brought us to himself. And we are set apart in him as servants while we live in this world. And so it's the greatest thing of all that in Jesus Christ we have eternal life. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room know Jesus Christ as Savior. We'll talk about it as we go through and see some great truths. May we be mindful of God's grace in our lives, not only in the past, but also even day to day. Well, a lot of you know my background. I trusted Jesus Christ when I was 19 years old. I was in college. I'd gone to church once when I was six and once when I was 12. I trusted Christ, and I believe it was a Thursday night that I trusted Christ. I was in a Bible study, and when the Bible study was over, I trusted in Christ. And so the guys that led me to Christ uh, wanted me to go to church with them that Sunday. And so I said, okay, it sounds like the right thing to do. I'll be glad to go. So I was going. I was sitting with the guys. All of us that that were in that Bible study and all of us at church were all on the football team together. And the, the, the little church that we went to that Sunday, they didn't have a pastor, and so one of the football guys was actually giving the message that morning. So I'm sitting out here with all the guys and my friends up there speaking, and he says this. He says, listen, uh, guy, everybody, I want you to come back tonight because we're going to have a special testimony from a young guy who trusted Jesus Christ recently. And I looked over at my friend, and I went, who's he talking about? And they went, you. I went, me. And so that night I came back. And it was very scared to death and came back and stood before that little church of people there and told them how I had put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. So here's a question for you. Have you ever given your testimony? What if I said, uh, come on up here and uh, why don't you tell how you came to know Jesus Christ as Savior? How would you do it? Would you be okay? You know, what is a testimony anyway? You know, there's really two kinds of testimonies. One is what God's doing in your life right now. You can stand up and say, you know, God's really taking me through. This is my first semester here. Or this is this and this. God's taking me, care of me. This. But the second kind of testimony is the salvation testimony where you tell people how Jesus Christ saved you. You tell people how that you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, how in His grace and mercy He brought you to Himself. And it really is exciting to see how God brings people to Himself. The truth is we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and that God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay for sin and to rise again and to give eternal life simply as a gift by faith. What a message of the grace and mercy of God in our lives. Well, this morning, we're going to see the grace and mercy of God in Paul's life because he's going to talk. We're going to see background on Paul, and we're going to see his rebellion, and he talks about how God was merciful to him and how God was gracious to him. And we're going to say that Paul even uses this term. He says God had superabundant grace in his life and we're going to see that and we'll talk about how God saved Paul and set him apart the goal is that we would be very encouraged by this that we realize also we have the super abundance of grace in our lives and by the way that's how we live everything it's the grace of God a lot of people talk about grace they don't really understand it we are saved by grace through faith we live the Christian life by grace we live that we look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior all based on the grace of God so we want to praise God and thank him for his grace and his mercy 
in our lives. Well, as we begin this morning, let me remind you of where we are. Uh, the letter of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, of course, was written by Paul to Timothy. Timothy was in the church at Ephesus. Paul had been there. He leaves and goes to Macedonia, which is northern Greece. While he's there, he writes back to Timothy this letter. And what's going on in the church, the best that we can tell, is that some leaders in the church had begun to teach things that were not biblical. They began to teach other things. And so Paul writes back to Timothy and tells him, and we saw it already at the very beginning of the letter, to deal with false teachers. But as we go through this morning, in this little section that we're in, Paul is talking about the grace of God. And he's talking about how God gave him the privilege of proclaiming the message of salvation. And then he goes back and talks about his background. And that's what we're going to see just in these verses this morning. We're only going to look at verses 12 through 15, and we'll see how that ties together. Last time we saw something that... That was unique for some people who have never heard this, but we talked about the purpose of the law. And we realized the law was not for salvation because people can't keep the law. And we're talking about the law, we're talking about the Mosaic law. The law was not for salvation because nobody can keep it. The law was not for the Christian life. Uh, because you, you can't live by that. But the law is for the unbeliever. This is what we found last week. The law is for the unbeliever to show them that they cannot measure up, that they sin and come short of the glory of God, and they need a Savior. As believers, we're not under Mosaic law for the Christian life or under what the New Testament calls the law of Christ, often called the law of love, that we obey the commands and principles found in the New Testament in God's Word by the power of the Holy Spirit as we live by the Word of God, all based on love. That's kind of the key. We ended last time with Paul saying and declaring that he had been entrusted by God to proclaim the gospel message. Look at verse 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So Paul talked about his responsibility to proclaim the good news message of Jesus Christ. And when he talked about that, it caused Paul to think back about his life. And so he goes back and he tells us about what his life was like before he believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. So this morning we're going to get a glimpse of that. And we're going to see the grace of God in Paul's life. Let me break down the passage for you. We're only going to look at 12, 13, 14, and 15. Verses 12, 13, and 14, we see that Paul was a sinner. That's what he says. But he's saved by the grace of God. Actually, it was the mercy and grace of God. We'll see how that fits together when we look at the passage. And then when we get to verse 15, we're just going to start it this morning because next week we're going to go in a lot more detail, but we're going to actually see Paul writes the purpose that Jesus Christ came into this world. It's very powerful. It's very great because it is the greatest truth of all. Why would God send Jesus Christ into this world? And he tells us in this passage there's some great things there. Well, Let's see the grace and the mercy of our great God in Paul's life. Remember, Paul said he was entrusted with the gospel. Look again at verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. Now, Paul says, I've been entrusted with the glorious gospel, with the good news message. Now, to make sure we understand the good news message, the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, I delivered to you of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried and rose again on the third day. The gospel message is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The response to the gospel is to believe it, to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Paul says he's been entrusted with that message, the glorious gospel which he's been entrusted. That means God set him apart to tell people the good news message. Well, we have to understand 
The same is true for us. We've all, all been entrusted, we who know Jesus Christ as Savior, we've been entrusted with the gospel message. We get to come together as believers to worship our Savior, to be trained and equipped, and then we scatter into this community on that campus and the community with the message of salvation, which he calls the glorious gospel because it is the message that gives eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. It's the message that brings salvation. That's Romans 1.16. So it's a great truth. And so just in the same way that Paul was entrusted with the gospel, we are as well. From this, Paul thinks about his ministry. Notice what he says in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. We might say putting me into ministry. Paul says he thanks Christ for allowing him to be in ministry. And that's a very powerful statement. The same is true for all of us that we can thank Jesus Christ that he has allowed us to be in ministry. Notice what he said. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. The way it's written in the Greek, it's ongoing. Paul is saying, I keep on thanking Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Now the bottom line is the only way you can do ministry for Jesus Christ is to have God's strength. It is not our strength. We cannot live the Christian life in our strength. We cannot have victory. We cannot serve him in our power. It has to be God through us. We know this, that apart from him, we can do nothing. And in Christ, we can do all things. That's the only way we can live. And so he says, I I thank God. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, giving me the strength. Why? Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. I want you to understand about ministry. The key in ministry is faithfulness. It is not fame or fortune or anything like that. The key in ministry is faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 4.2, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, it is required of stewards to be found faithful. What God is looking for is faithful people. He doesn't care about rich, success, famous, any of that. He just wants you to be faithful. Wherever he has placed you, wherever he has us, he wants us to be faithful. For most of us right now, he's placed us in this town. And he says, with the gifts, talents, and abilities that he has given to us, he wants each of us to be found faithful. Now notice what he says. I I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who strengthened me. He gave me the strength because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, putting me into ministry. So often we miss the point that every one of us in this room are in ministry. Paul says, I thank God he put me in ministry. All of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, we've got the ministry of reconciliation found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. We get to tell people how they can be reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we get to do. So we've all, we're all in ministry. And that sometimes we think that, what, what are we supposed to do? We think maybe we're here for ourselves. No, we are here to serve Jesus Christ. We all have gifts, talents, and abilities for the glory of God. We should thank God and can say, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in ministry. The greatest truth of all is that when we wake up every morning, we ought to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want my life while you leave me on this earth? What do you want me to do? Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know how long we're going to be on this earth. And what we must say to God is, God, thank you for another day. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How do you want my life to count for you? Because you have put me in ministry. It is so powerful. There's an old saying that says, do what you can where you are. Many believers fail to realize 
that we're here to serve Jesus Christ. We often think we're here for ourselves. We get up and we say, what am I supposed to do? What do I want to do? You know, what, what's in it for me? And the truth is, what's in it for God? There's an old statement that says, when all is said and done, more is said than done. And that's true. More is said than done. People say things like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And when it comes down to it, most people don't do very much. We need to realize we have gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given to us. And we need to realize that he has put us in ministry. And we want to use those gifts and talents. Well, we're in ministry, so what are your gifts? Let me ask you a question. Where where are you using the gifts, the talents, and abilities that God has given to you? If you're a part of countryside, where are you serving? If you're connected with maybe a campus ministry, are you involved? Are you serving? Are you using the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given to you? Well, when Paul talked about that, he said, you know, I thank Christ Jesus. I thank him. He strengthened me. He considered me faithful. He put me into ministry. And from there, he thinks back about his life. He thinks about what it was like before he became a believer. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Think about your life before you became a Christian, before you trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. Some of you grew up in Christian homes. Some of you trusted Christ when you were five, six, seven years old, and you grew up in church, and you've come off to college, or you're through with college, you got jobs. You've lived your life, and you grew up in a Christian home. Some of you, you did not. Some of you may have been like me, that I never went to church, but once when I was six, once when I was 12, and then I trusted Christ when I was in college. And then it was a while after that before I really started growing. Some of you may have been older when you finally heard the truth about Christ. Some of you may have come from some pretty shaky backgrounds. And you'd say, there's some things, J.B., that I did. I don't want anybody to ever know what I did or things like that. We all are that way. And, 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 and so when we look at Paul's life, what does he say about himself? Look at verse 13. He says, even though I was formerly, he's saying, this is what I used to be. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. What was Paul like before he came to know Christ? He says three things. He says he's a blasphemer, he was a persecutor, and he was a violent aggressor. What does he mean? Well, he's a blasphemer. To blaspheme means to say something bad about God. That's what it means. Now, let's think about Paul's background. If you remember, he grew up in a little town called Tarsus in Cilicia, which is modern-day Turkey. His daddy was a Roman citizen who was Jewish, and his mother was Jewish. He was a good Jewish boy. At age 12, his father was wealthy. They shipped him to Jerusalem to study under the greatest teacher of the day, a man by the name of Gamal. So Paul grew up as a Pharisee. He believed that the law was the key, and he knew that law. In fact, he says in the book of Galatians, he was the top student in his class. When he heard about Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, which they called the way, the new way. They didn't call them Christians until the city of Antioch. That was a little bit later on. So the first time they were called Christians was there. So up until that time, when people talked about Jesus, they talked about this way, this new way. These people were following Jesus of Nazareth. Paul did not like Jesus of Nazareth. Paul, in fact, most likely was at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Because Paul was a good Jew. That was Passover. He was probably in town. Paul thought that Jesus was wrong. And when he would say bad things about Jesus, he now realized later that he was a blasphemer because Jesus is God. And when he would say bad things about Jesus, he's saying bad things about God. That's why he called himself a blasphemer. But he also calls himself a persecutor. He went after people who followed Christ. He tracked them down. He did everything he could to get them and to arrest them and to bring them back. In fact, the third thing that he says, he was <coughs> a violent aggressor that means he did harm to people 
And when you think about Paul the Apostle, his name used to be called Saul. He's got two names. Most Jewish people had two names, Saul and Paul. Saul means ask, and uh, Saul means ask, and Paul means little. He was a small man, and his name meant ask. Uh, and so here, here he was, and he was a persecutor. He did everything he could to get Christians. We're going to see some verses in just a second. Paul says, let me tell you what I was like. He says, I thank God. He let me be in ministry. Because see, formerly I, was a, I talked bad about God and I persecuted people and I was a violent aggressor. Let me read something to you. You've got a couple of verses I'm going to set up here. You don't have to even turn there, but in cha- uh, Acts chapters 8 and 9 and also chapter 26, listen to this. This is Acts chapter 8 verse 3. Paul says this. It, uh, the Bible says, Paul called him Saul here. Saul began ravaging the church. Entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and he would put them into prison. It later on says in Acts 9, Now Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and he asked for letters so that he would go to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what it was called, to the way, whether men or women, he would bring them bound to Jerusalem. And then in Acts 26, Paul writes this himself. He says, this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priest, but when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul would say, if you looked at my life, it was terrible because I went after the church. I went after the believers. I I, I blasphemed God. I persecuted the people. I was a violent aggressor. I, I, I gave my vote to kill people. We might even say that Paul was mean because that's what that word means. It means mean, harmful. But this, notice what it says. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown, now watch the word, mercy, because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the, look at the word, grace of our Lord was more abundant. There are two words that stand out in Paul's life. Mercy and grace. See, mercy is not getting what we deserve, because what we deserve is death and separation. We don't get death and separation. By the mercy of God, we have eternal life. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve eternal life and salvation, but we get that. Every one of us in this room, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've experienced the mercy and the grace of God. God's mercy is that He did not send you to hell. That's what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve. That's mercy. But grace of God is He allows us to have eternal life. That's the grace of God, and it's simply by faith. So notice what it says. He says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy. I want you to see the first word here is God's mercy in Paul's life. He says, I was against God, and yet he showed me mercy. Why? He says, because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul actually thought he was doing God a favor by going after the Christians. Of course, they were called the way at that time. John 16, 2, Jesus said, Some people actually think they're doing you a favor when they try to kill, doing God a favor when they try to kill you or try to kill me. Paul says, Listen, I, I didn't know. See, what happened is you know that Paul on the road to Damascus to go get more Christians, to go get them and bring them back. On the road to Damascus, Jesus Christ appeared to him, blinded him, knocked him off whatever animal he was riding, and And and, and Jesus then said to Paul, he called him Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And 
Saul or Paul realized right then that Jesus Christ was alive, that he had seen Jesus die on the cross and paid for sin. He had heard the rumors that he had risen from the dead, but he didn't believe that. And now face to face, he sees Jesus Christ. And on that road to Damascus, right there, he believed in Jesus Christ as his Savior. He was shown the mercy of God. But there's more. Look at the grace. We're going to see God's grace. Look at the next verse. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. See, grace is unmerited favor. That's getting what we don't deserve. That God just pours it onto us. And by the way, that word there when it says, "And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant," in the Greek, that word means super abundant. The grace of God was super abundant. It was overflowing. God's grace is always more than you need. God always gives more than you need. You ever realize that? God always gives more than you need. Think about flowers. Is there just enough flowers? I mean, there are flowers on top of mountains that nobody will ever see. Think about air. Is it just enough air? Like if you just suck in too much, somebody else is going to go, oh, I don't have enough air. Somebody took too much air, right? No. There's more there than you need. There's more everything you need. And there's the grace of God, which is beyond what you can imagine. He calls it super abounding grace. And the grace of God is poured out in our lives. Listen to this. Romans 5 verse 20 says, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Wherever there's sin, there's the grace of God. And nobody can say, well, you just don't know how many sins that I've done. It doesn't matter how many sins you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. The grace of God will cover it. always does. That's why God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. To pay for our sins. That's the grace of God. Some people say, well, you know, I'm too bad. Nobody's ever too bad. There's always enough grace. I read this story, kind of a joke about a guy who went to heaven. You know, they always go to heaven and there's St. Peter there and they get stopped. I don't know why they get stopped from going in. And he gets ready to go in. Peter says to him, you got to have a thousand points to get in. He says, okay, how many, okay. And Peter says, tell me about yourself and I'll tell me how many points you get. He said, okay, well, I, I, I went to church. I've been good. I, I gave money. I cut the grass at the church. Uh, I, I did everything. He said, okay, that's, that's one point. He went, one point? Yeah. Anything else? Well, let's see. I, I gave. I was a lifelong member. I went to Sunday school. I, I, I even was a speaker. I did a Bible study. He said, okay, that's another point. He said, my gosh, the guy was frustrated. He said, well, at this rate, I'll, I'll never get in except by the grace of God. He said, that's a thousand points of grace. Yes, you're in. It's always the grace of God that gets you in. It's not your works. It's not your goodness. It's not your righteousness. It's not what you do. It's not what you promise to do. It's not what you're going to do. It is all based on the grace of God and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. He's done it all. He is the Savior, not you. So what does Paul say? He says, listen, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and aggressor, but I got the mercy of God, and the grace of our Lord was more abundant. It just overflowed and overflowed and overflowed. And he says, all based on the faith and love which are found in Christ. The faithfulness of Christ to come and die for us, the love of Jesus Christ. First John 14, and this is love, not that we love God, but God loved us and sent his Son to be the satisfactory payment for our sins. It's all the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Paul looks back. And what he sees is mercy and grace. Every one of us in this room, you look back at your salvation and you have to see the mercy and the grace of God. Now some people are confused. There's some places you can go and you'll hear messages like repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, make a public profession, be willing to do this, get baptized, do this. That's not the grace of God. That's you trying to do something. None of that matters. None of that measures up. You can't do it. The salvation message is not based on what you promise to do or what you commit to do or what you hope to do. The salvation is based on Jesus Christ and in Him alone, and you trust in Him and Him alone for salvation. That's the salvation message. 
That's why Paul says it's mercy and grace. Paul, every time he thought back, he, he, it was thankfulness to what God had done. And we looked the same way. We all, like sheep, had gone astray, each one our own way. But the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all, on, on, on our iniquity, and he's paid for it. And we have eternal life by grace through faith. We are not separated. That's the mercy of God. We get eternal life. That's the grace of God. And that's why I love Ephesians 2, 8, 9. People say, what's your favorite verse? Listen, I don't have a favorite verse because I love them all. I mean, really, if you, whatever, wherever you are at that time, that's probably the best verse you need. But, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's salvation right there. Now, with that in mind, uh, let me just say this. When you go to bed tonight and you get ready to get in the bed, won't you thank God? for His mercy and grace in your life. That you have eternal life as a gift. Not because what you do or promise to do or are going to ever do, but because what Jesus Christ has done for you and He's given it to you by faith. I want to quickly finish this last, look at the last verse and we'll get into the details next week. I just want to touch on it. He goes on and says, after all this, he says a great statement. He says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world, why? To save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Paul says this, this is what we call the faithful saying. He says this, there are five places in First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, five places that he uses this little formula. It's a little Greek term that says, faithful is the word. We translate it, this is a faithful statement or this is a trustworthy statement. But Paul says this is something that is very trustworthy, it is a trustworthy statement. This is what he says. And notice what it is. Deserving full acceptance. He says everybody needs to understand this truth. It needs to be fully accepted by everyone. And this is the message. That Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Why did Jesus Christ come? He came to save us. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who's always existed. And at a point in time in history, He left the glories of heaven to become a human being. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to this earth to die on the cross for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11 through 11, talks about Jesus Christ leaving the glories of heaven, taking on the form of a human being, becoming a human being, then humbled Himself to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Why did Jesus Christ come into this world? He came to be the Savior. Notice what He says. He came to save sinners because every human being is a sinner we've all fallen short of God's glory he came to save us we never want to take that for granted if you think back at uh, Matthew chapter 1 when the angel came to Joseph to tell him what the baby's name is going to be he said you shall name him Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins the name Jesus means savior it's Yeshua it means the savior that's Jesus name savior why did Jesus Christ come into this world he came to save us. He came the first time, be born in Bethlehem, to die on the cross to save us. He's going to come the second time to reign and, right, and rule in righteousness as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. First time he came, he came to die. Second time he comes, he comes to reign. And then talking about to this earth. First time he came, he was born in Bethlehem and he died on the cross to pay for our sins. Second time he comes, he comes as the King. Paul says, this is a trustworthy statement and everybody should accept this. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's every one of us in this room. Jesus Christ came to die for you so that you could have eternal life. 
And it all depends on whether you believe in him or not as your Savior. It's not your goodness or works. Jesus has already died on the cross. He's already paid for everybody's sin. He's already provided the way that every human being can have eternal life. And it's simply by faith. You believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. First Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for our sins. Once for all, the just, that's him, for the unjust, that's us, so that he could bring us to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. We are not saved by our works or the law or by going to church, but simply by faith alone in Christ alone. He gives us eternal life. The reason I think it's so powerful is because many people... You will be surprised. We talked about it in my Sunday school. We talked about it in the first service. You'd be surprised that when you go out of this campus, when you go into this community, you'll be surprised how many people believe that doing good has something to do with their salvation. Either they think that they can do good works and somehow that will save them, or they do good works and somehow that will keep them saved. Either way. They somehow are confused, believing that doing things saves them. You have the privilege and you have the responsibility. You have been entrusted with the gospel, the message of salvation, the grace and mercy of God, that you go into this community and you tell people the truth. In love, you tell them how they can believe in Jesus Christ and have eternal life. Not their goodness, not their righteousness, not their faithfulness, none of that. Faith alone in Christ alone. Now Paul ends this, and we'll come back to it next week, where he says, He came to save sinners among whom I'm foremost of all. Paul says, I'm the number one sinner of all time. That's what he wrote under the inspiration of the Word of God, of the, of the, of the Holy Spirit. So let me let you say this. If you were to say, you don't know how bad I am, I'm, I'm really too bad. Well, listen, you're at least number two on the list. You're not number one, okay? Because Paul's number one, and, and God saved Paul, who's number one, which you're going to see. If you'll read the next verses on down, if you'll read verses 15, 16, and 17, which is next week's message, you will see Paul says, if he can save me, he can save anyone. And so if you're here this morning and you thought, yeah, but you know, you don't know all the stuff I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. It's the fact that Jesus Christ has already paid for your sins. And he is your Savior. And when you believe in him, he gives you eternal life. It is that simple. We'll see more next week. What have we seen? We've seen background, God's grace in dealing with Paul. We've seen Paul thanks God for the mercy and grace. And then we see the purpose that Jesus came. It was to save sinners. And Paul said, I'm the number one sinner. Okay, now let's look at this. Application. Remember why Jesus Christ came to this earth. He came to pay for our sins. He came to save sinners. Luke says he came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to die for us. What is the response? If you are in this room this morning, and if somebody were to say to you, do you think when you die that you would get to be with Jesus forever, that you'd go to heaven, or whatever words you want to say, if you're not sure, if you said, I hope so, or I don't know, I want you to know, by the authority of the Word of God, Jesus Christ has died for you already. He's already paid for your sins. He has already provided the way of salvation. And all He asks you to do is believe in Him for eternal life. He's offering you the gift. It's not your works or goodness or faithfulness or anything. It's not going to church. It's not changing your life. Now, you'll want to change your life as a believer. But we're not talking about being a believer. I mean, we're not talking about living the Christian life. We're talking about becoming a Christian. He says, trust in Him for eternal life and you will be saved and saved 
forever. You can do it right where you're sitting. You don't have to do anything except say, Lord, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he's my Savior. I'm trusting in him and him alone. And by the authority of the Scripture, you have eternal life that moment. So let's, do, let's remember why he came. He came to save us. The second thing is thank God for his grace and mercy. That's, that's how it works. Look at this. Is God's grace is, is superabounds. That's salvation. He paid for it all. God's mercy gives us eternal life, not separation. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness we've done, but according to his mercy does he save us. So thank God for his grace and mercy. And last but not least, thank, thank God for the opportunity to serve him. You have been entrusted with the gospel. The glory, as he Paul says, the glorious gospel, you know, is so powerful. You get to go and tell people. So why don't you do this? When you wake up tomorrow morning, thank God that he gave you another day. Thank God that he's entrusted you with the gospel. Thank God for his grace and mercy in your life. And then ask him to let you tell somebody about Jesus Christ tomorrow. Maybe to the rest of the day. You can pray it as you leave. Well, give me the rest of the day. Maybe, maybe we go out to eat and we talk to a Somebody who serves us if we go out to eat. Or maybe we get to talk to somebody this afternoon somewhere, or tonight, or tomorrow. Ask God to give you the opportunity to tell somebody. You've been entrusted with that message. As we remember that Jesus Christ came to save us, may we thank him for his grace and mercy in our lives, and may we faithfully serve him, realizing that he has given us the great ministry to proclaim the good news message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Lord, there's just so much in this passage. Help us to understand it and make application. Thank you that Jesus Christ came. Why? To save us, to give us eternal life, to die on the cross and pay for our sins. Whoever believes has eternal life. Thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives, not giving us what we deserve and giving us what we don't deserve. Thank you, Lord, for that. And then, Lord, thank you that you have given us the privilege of proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. Use us, Lord. Take us places. Use us to tell others about Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.